Hey everybody, welcome to the Active Churches Podcast. We hope you are inspired by today's message from one of our teaching pastors here at Active Churches. We are online and we are also in person, so we'd love to have you gather with us 9 a.m. and 1045 here at our Yukaipa location or online on YouTube or Facebook. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into our message. Hey, I have a question that I have been wrestling with personally, and maybe you have been thinking about this as well. This isn't some Christian type of question or some faith-based thing, but I believe it's a question that at some point of our lives, everyone has thought of. And that question is, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? And for some of you, this question might be carrying a lot of weight. Maybe it was a marker that set the end of faith for you. In fact, maybe right now it feels like your faith is dying a slow death, maybe because of the things that have happened around the world, or maybe because of something that has happened to someone that you love. And it becomes more and more difficult for you to reconcile a good God and an evil world. And as we wrestle with this question, I think it might become a default for us to look at the bad in here and forget about the bad out there. It becomes muddy, right? It it could get kind of frustrating sometimes when we try to factor in all of the things that this world carries in with it and reconcile it with this good God that we talk about on Sunday mornings. I believe John, if John were here to answer this question, John, the one who wrote, all the, who wrote the fourth gospel, John, who followed Jesus around, John, who saw everything Jesus did and heard everything Jesus taught, I believe that he would say this in this moment. He would say, hang on, hold the phone, pump the brakes, whatever way you want to say, stop. I saw something that I believe could help you with this problem. I saw God in human form coexist with evil. Evil like you probably could never even imagine. See, this God in the flesh, he didn't have to prove that he was God by eliminating evil because he didn't eliminate it in me first. He loved me first. And then he went to work eliminating the evil in me. And for some of you, maybe that's your story. I know personally, that's mine. God didn't come to eliminate me first because of the things that were hidden within my heart. But he's seen me, he loved me, and then went to work at helping me tell a better story. I believe John would say this based off of the stories that he takes account of, that this is a big question. But I saw evil and I saw a good God and they did and can coexist. But it's absolutely like nothing you could have imagined. John tells us these stories that we've been reading about to show us about the irresistible truth about Jesus. And the only way to do that is by telling us about what he saw. And there were so many moments in the life of Jesus that John was was able to be a part of that he could have recorded, but he organizes these specific moments into signs. 
Maybe some of us might call these moments miracles, but a miracle, it's a standalone event, right? And a sign, a sign is an unusual event that points to something. These moments that Jesus created while he was here on earth were not just some random acts of kindness, but they were specific events to put life into what Jesus said about himself. This week, we're going to be diving into the book of John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me there. If you don't, don't worry, I got you there right here on the screen. So Jesus is with his disciples and what we're learning is that every time he goes into the temple or to Jerusalem or just travels really anywhere, there seems to be some type of conflict. He had some enemies and these enemies were named the Pharisees. The Pharisees at this time were people who upheld the religious law and they didn't like Jesus because the Pharisees believed principles over people. And Jesus came in and interrupted the scene and flipped that script and said, it's people over principles. And the Pharisees, they just, they just couldn't understand that. They didn't, they didn't get why he did what he did. So in this moment that we're going to be looking into, Jesus decides, you know what, I'm going to go all out and I'm going to manufacture a sign specifically for this community so that no one would have any doubts in who Jesus claimed to be. We're going to go into verse one or hopping into this week's story. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Going down to verse three, it says, the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. He was in Bethany, is a day and a half away from Jerusalem, if you were walking, which is where Jesus was, right? So he's sick. They send word out. Mary and Martha send word out to Jesus, hey, we need your help. And the reason why they call on Jesus is because they know him. They're friends of Jesus, and they know that he's the one to come and fix this crisis, right? So the messenger says, Lord, the one that you love is sick, can we pause for a second? Imagine being so close to Jesus that they don't even have to mention your name, but it's just the one that you love and he knows exactly who it is. Incredible. Going to verse four, it says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. But what we know is that before the messenger even arrived to Jesus, Lazarus was pronounced dead already. But Jesus continues and says, no, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. The first thought that comes to my mind and maybe it comes to yours is sickness for God's glory. Kind of makes me a little uncomfortable, kind of raises some tension within me. But you see, the sickness that they're talking through was actually left unattended on purpose. Jesus had a purpose in this moment, but either way, it's uncomfortable. And John, the writer of this letter, knows this. So he hops in to make a quick note in verse five. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Why does he tell us this? Because the statement that Jesus makes doesn't really seem like he loves them, right? But he does. Even if it doesn't look like it in the moment, he's setting up the stage for this next sign. And maybe sometimes in your life, it doesn't seem like it either. And this is why I believe Jesus manufactured this sign. It wasn't for those around the circle in that moment, but for you and for me. Isn't it true 
that sometimes in moments of crisis, we don't always feel so loved. We don't always feel so taken care of in moments. But this is why I believe Jesus manufactured this sign for us. Let's keep going. Verse six says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And this shocked the people around him because Jesus was healing total strangers at this point, right? Like people that were just coming up to him, he was healing them in a moment. But the person that he loved, he waited on. He didn't go when they called him. Why wouldn't he go? But Jesus Jesus was up to something. What I learned about Jesus is that every move he makes has purpose behind it. And even in this, there was purpose behind it. So two days go by and suddenly Jesus says to the disciples, verse seven says, let us go back to Judea. And immediately tensions rise within the disciples because the last time that they were there, things didn't go so well. Matter of fact, they wanted to stone Jesus. And there's a problem when you're around somebody who's getting stoned because the people that are throwing the stones aren't always 100% accurate, right? So the disciples were like, look, we're not trying to go. Like, we really don't want to go. And we'll see this in verse 8. They say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Emphasis on the you are going back? The statement is really saying, "Do, do we have to go? can't you just go alone? Can we just, just hang? We're fine here. Like things have been pretty good here. Let's just, let's just stay here. Right. But this next moment that we're going to hop into is such a Jesus move. It's so off script and absolutely makes no sense in the moment. But this is really Jesus bringing heaven down to earth in a moment of crisis. Verse nine and 10 says, Jesus answered them. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And maybe the disciples' response was, thanks, Jesus. <laughs> but, but how is this helpful to us not still wanting to go, right? We, we still don't want to go. But as this manufactured sign unfolds in history, the point of what Jesus says here becomes very, very clear. See, the 12 hours that he mentions, it's not a metaphor, but it's 12 hours of opportunity. What he was telling the disciples was to follow the light while the light of the world is still in the world. Because if they stay here out of fear, they're going to miss an opportunity of a lifetime. An opportunity to see the light of the world shed light on a situation that would change the way people thought about death and life forever. And for us, if we refuse to follow the light of the world, it's going to be so easy to stumble around in the darkness. Have you ever tried to find something when it's dark? Things become 10 times harder when it's hard to see. We might stumble around in a world that feels like it has no meaning, no purpose, no result that will ever end in hope. Maybe we'll stumble around trying to make sense in a world that just doesn't make sense. Trying to make sense out of good and evil. And eventually, we might find ourselves backed up in a corner of despair. But Jesus, he poses this challenge to the disciples and he also poses this to you. He tells them, follow me. I am the light and I come to bring light. So the big question is, who is in? 
In verse 11, it says, after he said this, he went, to tell, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go and wake him up. And the disciples, they're still trying to get out of it, right? At this point, they're going to try to give Jesus some medical advice in a second. But they're trying to reason their way out. Have you ever tried to reason your way out of something? Most of the time, it doesn't ever work out. And the disciples are going to learn this lesson very quickly. Verse 12, the disciples replied, Lord, if he's asleep, then, then he'll get better, right? Just rub some vapor rip, Vicks on them and give him some NyQuil and he'll be fine, right, Jesus? But Jesus... He wasn't speaking about his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And in this next part, it's pretty tragic for Mary and for Martha, but it becomes a beacon of hope for the future readers. In verse 14, Jesus has to set his crew straight. So he says, he tells them plainly, hey, Lazarus, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, and in this moment, he's speaking to the disciples, but I also believe that it was for your and my sake as well. He says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Who, who would say this, right? Who, who would put these words in Jesus's mouth? Like in this moment of crisis, in this moment of tension, who would say these words? For your sake and for mine, Jesus manufactures this sign and it's all going to make sense in just a few minutes. See, this seemed so crazy to them at the time because this was all brand new to the world. All that Jesus was bringing right now was brand new. The light of the world had come to shed light on, the, on a dilemma that mankind had wrestled with for thousands of years. How do I reconcile the idea of a good God and an evil world? A world that just doesn't seem to cooperate. Can I get an amen, somebody? Sometimes it feels like this world just doesn't seem to cooperate with us. Well, back in Bethany, where Martha and Mary and Lazarus are, the third day is coming to an end where they have to lay Lazarus' body in the tomb. But Jesus, he misses it all, right? Third day is coming. It's about time. Like, we, we can't wait anymore. We've been waiting on Jesus. He still isn't here. We have to put him in the tomb. Like, he's been dead for three days. We need to put him in the tomb. And Jesus still isn't here. I'm going to read a little chunk of the scripture, and then we're going we're gonna to break that down real quick. So on verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother, my brother, he wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. In this moment, Martha expresses real and genuine emotion to the face of Jesus. And friends, can I just say that you have permission to do the same. You have permission to bring all that you need to the feet of Jesus. Because the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it ripped apart any barrier that was between you and God. So whatever you need to bring to him, you have permission to do so. And it's never too much. And it's never a bother for him. So what Martha is basically saying is, hey, this, this is partially your fault. 
God, God, you could have done this, but you didn't. And friend, can I also note this? That there's absolutely nothing wrong with your faith when something you prayed for or asked for doesn't go your way. There's nothing wrong with your faith when something that you prayed for doesn't go your way. And if somebody told you that you need more faith for this or you don't have enough faith for this, I'm sorry. Because there's absolutely nothing wrong with your faith even if something doesn't go your way because bad things happened even to the friend of Jesus. And in this case, he was manufacturing a sign for you, for your sake. In verse 22, when Martha tells Jesus, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She's clinging on to whatever faith she has left in this moment. She's conflicted between a good God and an evil world. She's conflicted between who she knows Jesus to be and what she's seen in front of her. So Jesus responds to her with, he will rise again, right? And in this moment, maybe Martha kind of took a step back and she's thinking Jesus is going into preacher mode, right? Ever been, ever been in a moment of crisis and, and there's always that one person who'll send you some inspirational quote off of Pinterest. And in those moments of crisis, that's not what we need, right? This isn't what Martha felt like she needed in the moment. So verse 24, Martha answered and said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See, she knew about this last day, but she wasn't concerned about that because guess what? She called on Jesus days ago and he didn't come. This could have been avoided, right? She felt like he could have, but he didn't. And then I can imagine sweet Jesus looking, with, looking at Martha with such sincerity in his eyes. Because remember, Martha and Mary and Lazarus are friends of Jesus. They financially supported his ministry. He ate in their home. She knew him and he knew her. So he pauses and he looks at her and he says, Hey, Martha, I'm not here to give you a sermon. I'm not here to bring you some type of theology or to correct your theology. Martha, I'm not even asking you to put your trust and your faith in what you already knew to be true. But Jesus says to her in verse 25, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Hey, Martha, what you're looking at, the resurrection you're talking about, this is it personified right in front of you. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. That word believe is better said in the Greek as the one who puts their trust in me. What we learn in this moment is that death isn't the end, but it's a transition. And in this moment, Jesus pauses and prioritizes people because I'm pretty sure Martha is feeling really overwhelmed, not only with the emotion that she just lost her brother, but now Jesus is saying, I'm the resurrection, that he's not going to die. Like what is happening? She's probably so confused, so concerned. He's probably seen the emotion well up within her. So he pauses and he asks her a question and he says, Martha, do, do you believe this? Do you believe in what I'm saying to you? And Martha, she says yes, but her yes comes with something that maybe you can relate to because I know that I can. Her yes translate to, yes, I believe you, but I also know that I don't need to understand everything to believe. In verse 27, she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, the one who has come into the world. 
This was all that she could muster up at the time. She was conflicted in Jesus' timing and who he actually was. Conflicted in knowing that he is God. And then what she's seeing in front of her, stuck in the middle of what she knows to be true of God and the pain of the moment. And that's okay. She says, you are the Messiah. And maybe there's some doubts in her. Maybe there's some fears in her. But that's what she poured out. So Martha, she heads back inside. And now here comes Mary, her sister. She's having a similar interaction with Jesus. God, you could have, but you didn't. We carry on the story in verse 33. It says, When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And maybe this is why Jesus manufactured this sign. Because he arrives out of the tomb knowing what is about to happen. Spoiler alert. In a few seconds, Lazarus is about to walk out of that tomb. The dead man is going to be raised from the grave. And Jesus knows this. But in this moment, he chooses to pause and to step into the emotion of the moment, showing divine empathy. Peter. Peter was a follower of Jesus and he was there in this moment. He was in the crowd and just soaking everything in. Two years later, Peter would go to write two letters to the church, and I believe that this moment influences this scripture heavily. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, he tells them, Casting all your care upon him, casting all your care upon God, for he cares for you. Friend, he cares for those unanswered prayers. He cares for the disappointments and the unresolved hopes and your fears. Maybe you're saying, Peter, how can you say this, right? Because of this day of this moment, right outside the tomb, there was standing Jesus, knowing what was going to happen, but he still chose to step into the pain and tears of the moment. Because I saw him care for Mary and Martha, I know that you can put your trust in him. Jesus could have easily rushed to the resolution, right? He could have just probably snapped his fingers and everything would have been fine. But what he did is he chose to enter into it with mankind. Because in this moment, that is what was needed. So Jesus paused, knowing what what was going to happen. And verse 35 is known as one of the shortest scriptures in the Bible. But what I love about this is it may be short, but it's mighty. Because it speaks a message so loud and so clear that Jesus is willing to go in the trenches, in the valleys with you. And here's how we know this. Because 35 tells us that Jesus wept. He wept in knowing that in just a few seconds, Lazarus was going to walk out. He's not dead, but he still wept. The emotion swept over him because he was in the moment with them. And in this moment, Jesus condenses all of eternity into the span of an afternoon. The pain, the disappointment, the faith anyway, the tears of God. And now finally, we reach the resolution. Verse 38 and 39, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, and it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, and he's been there for four days. Better known said as, but Jesus, you are late. 
It's going to smell because he's dead. It's too far gone. It's been too long. We called you days ago. It's too late now. He's dead. In verse 40, Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? Did I not tell you that if you put your trust in me, that I'll take care of you? Did I not tell you that I was the one that life comes from? So Mary and Martha were like, yeah, you did. So go ahead. Let's see what's going to happen, right? So he gives them permission to remove the stone from the tomb. And it doesn't say this in the scriptures, but I'm pretty sure people probably took a step back because, again, Lazarus is dead for days and they know what to expect in this moment. So nobody's expecting him to get raised from the dead. So they're probably a little freaked out. Verse 43 says, when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And people were probably so freaked out that Lazarus is now walking and breathing and alive again. So Jesus had to be like, hey, take the grave clothes off of him and let him go. When they realized what happened, they rushed Lazarus. In verse 45, it said, Therefore, many of the Jews who had came to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and believed in him. I'm pretty sure there was no denying what just happened. He was dead and now he's walking out of the tomb. The Bible says that many who saw believed. And I believe John would say that if you saw what I saw, if you heard what I heard, you would have come to my conclusion, not by what Jesus did, but by who he actually was. See, in me and in my life, I grew up in church, right? I I was serving in youth ministry when I was a teenager in middle school and high school. But reality was, me and Jesus, we only went as far as having God first in my Instagram bio. It wasn't until I understood who Jesus was that my faith was given life. And now there's no denying the work that God has done in me wasn't until I knew who Jesus was. I believed in who Jesus was. Through these signs, we learn that seeing leads to believing and believing leads to trusting. Seeing leads to believing and believing leads to trusting. Jesus and the reason for these signs were so that you would place your personal faith in Jesus. For it to be personal, because the light of the world has come into the world for the benefit of the world. And just like earlier, the challenge is still there. Follow me. Who is in? People left and they went and spread the news of what just happened, right? So the enemies of Jesus gathered around in a meeting. They began to plot the imprisonment and the killing of Jesus. But God See, God had come to dwell alongside evil. No matter what threats were pressing in, there was a purpose. There was a purpose for everything he did, and that purpose had you in mind. God didn't come to eliminate the evil, but he placed it on the shoulders of his son to defeat it so that you wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. Because even though we were sinners, 
Even though we made mistakes, for God so loved the world. He sent a light so that you wouldn't have to stumble around in darkness, so that in every step that you take, in every moment of your life, you have purpose. So by placing your faith in who Jesus is, we wouldn't be lost to God, but you can have the very life that he came to promise you. Friends, I want to leave you with this. In John chapter 20, verse 31, John tells us, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the invitation of the gospel. Your better story is here, not because of what you can do, how you can say things or how you react to things, but life. Life with the promise of forever comes from the one who looked death in the face and said that I have the final say. So if you, if you're on the verge, feeling like you're losing faith because of difficulties in your life, can I leave you with this? Maybe it's been hard to reconcile a good God in a bad world, but I want you to know that you aren't the first. You're not going to be the last. Don't give up, friend. There's a light that God brought into this world named Jesus to manufacture a sign just for you. He cares and he knows. And just like with what we read today, he steps into this emotion of the moment with you and is in it with you. In a few weeks, we get to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross and the freedom that we get to walk in because of his choice. And no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done, Jesus has made a way for a better story for you, for you and for me. Baptism Sunday is this Easter at all of our services. And if you are wanting to connect your story to Jesus, have a fresh start, turn the page in this chapter, declare the better story in your life. Would you do me a favor? Text baptism to the number on the screen. Friends, we are not lost to God, but we have life in His name. Can I pray with you? God, thank you. Thank you that even in moments of crisis, that we know that you will step into the emotion of the moment with us, that you aren't afraid to be with us in those moments. God, I thank you that it's through the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we can tell a better story. And so, Father, I just pray that as we go about our day the rest of the time or whatever it is that we're doing in this moment, that we will be reminded that we are so known, that we are so valued, and that we are so loved by the King of Kings and that there's nothing that can change that. Thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen.
steadfast my soul is in the waiting is in the waiting hold on to this your triumph and it's never failing it's never failing
Thanks for tuning in today. We hope you were inspired. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. Hey, I want to ask you to do two things. First thing, hit that subscribe button to stay connected to the Active Churches podcast. The second thing I want to invite you to do is go onto your social media accounts, Instagram and Facebook, and go to Active Churches. Stay connected to the community because together we can tell a better story.